started with prayer and then turn it over to Donna to share about Bible translation. Thank you, dear Lord, for your kindness and your goodness, for fellowship we have with you and one another. Thank you for making it possible for us to gather and to encourage one another and to support those who are bringing the word of God to people around the world. We thank you for Donna, and we ask you to provide for all of her needs in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're lucky because Eric is on vacation, apparently, so you're stuck with me. (laughs) I'll just give you a brief overview of the work I've been doing in Southeast Asia, and then I'll hone in on one of the translation principles, of which there are many, but we'll just stick to one for today. So somewhere in Southeast Asia, in the middle of Indonesia which is that set of islands between China and Australia. Is that better? Yeah, that'll help. Okay. Then we can dial in. Thank you. Okay. In the middle of Indonesia, there's an island called Sulawesi. It looks like uh, people can't hear. Looks like the letter K. And in the middle of the island of Sulawesi is an area called Kaili Land. It's around the city of Palu. This is the location of a 7.6 earthquake back in 19, sorry, 2018, 2019. Every language and dialect in the area has its own way to say no. They all have the same word for yes, but different words for no. And that's how you can tell where they're from. You ask them an obvious question where the answer is no, and then you know where they're from. Oops. There are many, the area is predominantly Muslim, but there are also some Christian groups. Or within the group, there may be some Christian churches. The main two churches are the Salvation Army and uh, Protestant, which is basically Dutch Reformed, and a, a multitude of little Pentecostal churches. Between 1998 and 2003, New Testaments were finished in five of those languages and dedicated. Afterwards, we tried to get more literature out there. We did some Bible comics and published a dictionary and made a bunch of small, easy readers on topics like agriculture, education, folktales, and we also did some Bible stories. Some people composed songs, and we had scripture reading contests and singing contests in their languages. The Jesus film has been recorded in all of these languages now, and it's on a rotating satellite feed, so you can pick your language and watch it a couple of times a month. It might be in the middle of the night, but all, somebody's paying for this satellite <clears throat> to hold all these versions of the Jesus film. Audio recordings of the New Testament were done by Faith Comes by Hearing, but people began expressing an interest in Old Testament, and some, of the, some Muslims were also expressing a desire to read about the prophets. So we started a series of workshops. The idea was originally to train people from these language groups to do the translation themselves. So we taught them how to use computers. We taught the principles of translation, drafting, checking, revising, and testing the translation. 
one of the things we had to talk about is key terms, which are special words used in the Bible that have a specific <clears throat> theological importance. It could be words like even the word for God, because many of these areas have multiple words for gods. Words like grace, sin, salvation, holy, righteous, and so forth. I'll just give <clears throat> one example to keep it shorter, um, many of these languages don't have these specific words, and so the translator has to study the meaning and how they're used in the Bible to come up with an appropriate way to translate it. So one example is the word for holy. When we did the New Testament, we used the word for clean. So the Holy Spirit was the clean spirit. We talked about clean behavior. But when we started doing Old Testament, we realized the word holy is used for other things like holy cities, holy mountains, holy garments, holy ground. People understood clean cities as being ones that were well swept and the weeds kept in check. A clean mountain is one that didn't have any trees on it. Clean garments, how can you say these garments are clean when you just sprinkle blood all over them? And how can ground be clean? So we had to rethink what does the word clean me, holy mean so we came up with for cities and mountains and people they're chosen by God so God's holy people are people chosen by God garments and other temple items are items set apart for God and the holy ground we couldn't really come up with anything so it's this ground is clean because God is there so we had to put the phrase because God is there and then that helps them think more on terms of holy the problem now is with COVID, the government is putting out health stuff, talking about telling people to live clean. So clean lives, which we just came up against in the New Testament again, now means taking a bath regularly, washing your clothes, cleaning your house. So clean lives, we can't use that anymore. So we had to come up with lives pleasing to God. <clears throat> These are just scenes from some of the workshops we had most recently where we talked about figurative language and worked on Psalms and Proverbs. In 2018 and 19, we switched to working with teams individually instead of having workshops after the area was hit by that earthquake, tsunami, and liquefaction. It just became too difficult to find a functioning place to have meetings and travel was more difficult and so forth. So since then, we continued focusing on Psalms and Proverbs and also digitalization, like getting the stuff out in apps. We have a dictionary app and a scripture app now, so people can download that for free on their cell phones. We also have a couple of websites with other things. When COVID started in 2020, everybody learned how to use Zoom, and we continued working on Psalms and other books, even doing consultant checks online. I was probably on the last flight out of Indonesia to the Philippines, and then the Philippines locked down, as did every place else, and I was unable to travel. So working on Zoom turned out to be something we were able to do. I was thankful that somebody in Indonesia was able to teach the teams how to use Zoom, and the Internet has been reasonable, so it's worked out well. I'm still working on Zoom, in fact, except now I have to work at night to coincide with their morning where their internet is best. So the current plan is finish revising the New Testament, and we just finished going over the last New Testament book last week. Uh, work on some further Old Testament translation, arrange to reprint paper copies of the New Testament with some of the Old Testament books, and then update 
the websites, the dictionary and scripture apps. So for the translation teams, just pray for general health, safety, and good relationships on the team. It's always annoying when people get offended by each other and then somebody won't come and all this kind of thing. But So pray for good relationships. They've made huge strides. We rarely have that problem anymore, so that's also a praise item. And pray for God's grace in their lives as they grow in their knowledge of him. They've all got testimonies of how very much their lives, their personal lives, have been influenced by learning how to learning what the scripture means. They talk about changes in their relationships with their wives and their families, and most of them are active in the, their local churches too. Pray for wisdom in translating and perseverance. And then for the teams, the, the people groups we're working with, Pray that the believers would have the courage to share the gospel. It's kind of like conservatives in America, you want to shut up and not cause waves. So when you live in a Muslim-majority area, you also tend to want to shut up and not cause waves. But pray that they'd have courage to share, that the Holy Spirit would convict people of sin and their need for a Savior, and that people would use the translated scriptures and grow in their faith. So thank you for your prayers and support. Okay, and then one of the translation things that we were especially working on the last couple of years working in Psalms and Proverbs is figurative language. And this is basically language that's not used literally. I remember reading about the eye of the Lord is through all the earth, and I kind of envisioned this gigantic eyeball kind of rolling around, spying on everything when I was a child. But that is figurative language. That doesn't mean that there is an eyeball rolling around. It's just a figurative way of saying God's seeing everything. It's used in poetry like the Psalms and Proverbs, but it's also very common in prophetic books. And sometimes even in narrative, we found quite a few figurative language uses in the New Testament. Jesus used it frequently. It always evokes a comparison or a close connection with something else. It's, it's used to clarify or explain an idea. Sometimes they're trying to explain something that's kind of inexpressible we don't have words for, so they will use figurative language to try to get our thinking, uh, to think about things that are difficult to, to state in plain language. It's used to catch the attention of the hearer and make the message more vivid and memorable. And it also to respond, arouse a response in the hearer. The two most common are <clears throat> what we call in English metaphors and similes. These two are basically the same thing. The, only, the main difference is metaphors just say things like, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. I am the bread of life. A, a simile is the same thing, but it puts in a word like, I am like. And so in the language I, <clears throat> languages I worked with, they do not have metaphors. If you say, I am the door, they're like, is he a little bit kind of what? <laughs> so we have to say, I am like a door, like the door, rather than Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, we would have to translate, Benjamin is like a ravenous wolf, so that it's clear to them this is figurative language and you're not just some kind of mental case wandering around. Other examples of metaphors, John is a tower of strength to me. That child is really a greedy little pig. 
You worm Jacob. Jacob's not really a worm, but he's like a worm. <clears throat> you brood of vipers. They aren't literal vipers, but they're like a brood of vipers. So similes would have <clears throat> a word in it, like his car rattles like a sack of tin cans. The car is being compared to a sack of tin cans, and you can imagine what that would sound like. Sugar is sweet, and so are you. The so are indicates you're comparing you to sugar. I'm as hungry as a horse. The as tells us that I'm being compared to a horse. My feet are colder than ice. My feet are being compared to ice. <clears throat> so all of these, to discover the meaning, we have to think about what is the topic, which is the actual thing we're being talked about. Like my feet are colder than ice, the topic is my feet. The illustration is ice, and the point of similarity is cold. So these are true of all similes and metaphors. And for a lot of them, it's pretty straightforward. The sun is as hot as fire. We can understand the topic is the sun. The illustration is the fire. And the point of comparison is they're hot. The child is, really is a greedy pig. The topic is the child. The, the picture or illustration is a pig. The point of similarity is both of them are greedy. Swift as an arrow from the bow like the child darted into the house. The topic is the way the child moved into the house illustrated by the way an arrow comes from a bow and the point of comparison is fast and, and swift. Other examples, um, you can, First Kings 4.20, the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. So what is the topic? Okay, the people of Judah and Israel, and they're being compared to what? The sand on the seashore. And what is the point of similarity? Lots of them. Okay. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge. What's the topic? The Lord. And the illustration? Okay, and what's the point of comparison? Okay, both shelter. We don't have a lot of this in Minnesota, obviously, but in the Middle East and desert areas, often these big rocks sticking up is a place of shade. There's often caves, a place to shelter. And you can hide from enemies. They can look across the desert and can't see you if you're behind this big old rock. Okay, Isaiah 51, 6, the heavens will vanish like smoke. So what's the topic? The heavens and the illustration? And what's the comparison? What's the... The vanish. All we like sheep have gone astray. What's the topic? We compared to... And the point of comparison? Okay. Sometimes, however, one of these pieces is missing. And for us, maybe we're used to it or we've heard sermons or Sunday school or our language functions differently. <clears throat> but sometimes in translation, you may have to provide the missing piece. Like Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is the topic? Okay, what's it compared to? A lamp? 
what what is the similarity? Okay, it gives light or illumination or it makes us able to see. For the lamp, obviously, we can see the path, and for spiritually, we can see the spiritual <clears throat> truth and reality. This is a good one, Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring in a swine's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. What's the topic? A beautiful woman without discretion, or the beautiful woman is compared to what? A gold ring. So what is the point of comparison? It doesn't, it doesn't say, but we have to fill in the blank mentally ourselves if we can. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's incongruence. It's like something valuable and beautiful can be made ugly because of, like the ring. A gold ring is beautiful, but if it's in the nose of a pig, it devalues it. The same with a beautiful woman. Beautiful, but if she has no discretion, it kind of degrades the beauty. Uh, Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. We struggled with this because there's no apples, or apples are not very well known in our area. And no one knew why you'd make them out of gold. Yeah, it's like something good can be made even better in the appropriate setting the appropriate <clears throat> like a, a good word can be good in and of itself but it's especially good if it's said at the right time in the right setting and the same with I guess this decoration thing this was one that was not obvious to me when we were translating it I was stumped trying to figure out what the comparison was I think I was stumped because apples of gold in a setting of silver was kind of an unknown thing what would that be Yeah. Something similar to that that, yeah. Sometimes you, have, you may have to fill in the implied information if they really, really don't get it. <clears throat> the interesting thing is translations like the good news, although, you know, it may have its, it's got some theological points that maybe aren't preferable, but it does a pretty good job of handling idiot, or, um, figurative language. So sometimes when you're stuck looking at that one, they'll often just give the meaning. It's like they don't... And sometimes we had to do that too because we just could not come up with a way to keep the figure because it either meant something totally different in their language and they couldn't get beyond it or they just totally incomprehensible. We'll get to that in a bit. <clears throat> okay, Matthew 17:20. if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. So what's the topic? Okay, and it's compared to what? What's the illustration? A grain of mustard seed. And what's the point of similarity? Yeah, both are very, even if they're very small, they can both grow and become very big. Okay. And Mark 117, I will make you fishers of men. 
What's the topic? Hmm? Yeah, you, the, he was talking to the disciples or Peter and, and they're compared to what? Fishers. And how are they like fishers or how will they be like fishers? What's the point of similarity? Yeah. It's like fishermen go to seek fish to sell or to eat, and you will go out and seek people who and try to get persuade them to be my followers, that kind of idea. This is another one we ended up having to go literal because they just didn't get the fisher. They don't have they don't have really a fisherman in their area either, so okay. They're inland. These are big islands. <laughs> yeah, most of them have never seen the ocean, even though it's only, what, 30, well, 40 kilometers away. They're up in the mountains. They, don't, they can't see the ocean from there. <laughs> okay, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life in John 6.35. What's the topic, or who's the topic? And he's compared to? And what's the common, what's the point of similarity? Yeah, I mean, they gave you a hint by saying the bread of life. He could have just said, I am bread, but he did say the bread of life. So that gives you a hint as, as bread or in, in Southeast Asia, rice is the basic thing we need for life. So also Jesus is the basic thing we need for spiritual life. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, I know sometimes. No, we didn't get that far. It's because bread is too, it's a common theme throughout Scripture. So if you change one little thing like this, it breaks up that continuity of the topic of bread throughout Scripture. So no, we didn't. Okay, James 3 6, and the tongue is a fire. The topic is the tongue. It's compared to fire, but what's the point of? It's destructive. They're both very, can be very destructive. Okay. Controlled, they're very useful, but out of control, they're destructive. Well, some illustrations sometimes are used with more than one point of similarity. One is sheep. Sheep is a common theme in scripture. In Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. It talks about the character of sheep of easily wandering off. Isaiah 53, 7, like a sheep before its shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. That's a different characteristic of a sheep. Jeremiah 12, 3, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Micah 2.12, I will set them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. So there it's just more the group picture of sheep happily baying and doing whatever they do, jumping around out there. Matthew 10.16, I send you out as defenseless sheep in the midst of wolves. So there it's kind of pointing out the characteristic of defenseless. Sheep are not able to fight back against wolves and things like that. So that's so, so why you have to kind of think about the context too because it's not always the same characteristic that's being used in that situation. Sometimes the point of similarity isn't what you expect, and that's probably because of our culture. 
Like Revelation 3.3, I will come like a thief. Well, the only thing that's being compared there is the unexpectedness and suddenness of it. Jesus is in no other way comparable to a thief. He's not stealing anything. So the, whole, the only point of comparison is the suddenness and unexpectedness. <clears throat> Matthew 28.3, his appearance was like lightning. In English, we tend to associate lightning with speed, as in lightning fast. But in the context of this verse, however, it's the brightness of lightning which is in focus. The context makes this clear, and the parallel passage in Luke 24.4 confirms it. John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The point of similarity between Jesus and the Lamb is, in the Jewish religion, the Lamb was the animal sacrificed to atone for sins. The sacrificial lamb itself was without any blemish. And so we too, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So the significance of John saying, behold the lamb of God is often missed. And I'm pretty sure the Lato people, when they just read John saying, behold the lamb of God, they do not have that association in their heads. It's just another weird biblical thing. But it was very significant to the Jewish people who heard John say that. Sometimes these figurative language can be very complicated. You know, your teachers always told you don't, oh, what is it called? Don't combine too many, yeah, don't, yeah, don't use mixed metaphors. But (laughs) there are a lot of mixed metaphors, actually. In the, in the New Testament especially. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Just that part alone, the word of God is like a two-edged sword because in the way a two-edged sword is sharp and cuts well, so the word of God is penetrating to the lives of people. And we had trouble with that one too because they were having trouble understanding how, how is the word of God sharp And we already talked about the fishers of men. Sometimes the illustration isn't known. For example, Matthew eighteen seventeen, if your brother refuses to listen, even to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Well, out in the middle of Lado land, what's a Gentile? And what's, they're all Gentiles. And a tax collector, well, that could be your brother-in-law who's collecting the land tax for the village. So that doesn't connect but the point of similarity might have to be brought out like if your brother refuses to listen even to the church avoid him like you would avoid a gentile or a tax collector you don't have to go into a big long explanation there of all this history you can't really do that that wrecks the the point of it but sometimes a little word in italics directing their thinking to oh avoid okay kind of thing it gets the idea across Acts 26.14, it hurts you to kick against the goads. Uh, The good news translates it as, you're hurting yourself by hitting back like an ox kicking against its owner's driving stick. Or sometimes this is a similar one to Jesus coming as a thief. 2 Corinthians 11.8, I robbed other churches in order to help you. It's like, whoa, was Paul robbing them? My goodness. 
So you may have to put some little thing in there that helps people understand he's speaking figurative. Like in English, the good news put, I was robbing them, so to speak. The so to speak tells the reader that this is figurative. This is not literally robbing. Uh, the Romans 3.13, the venom of asps is under their lips. The good news translated that dangerous threats like snake's poison will roll from their lips, or lips itself is also a figurative way of saying their mouth, their speech. Their words are, they speak are like the poison of deadly snakes bringing death. 1 Corinthians 15.54, death is swallowed up in victory, might be death is destroyed, victory is complete. People won't die anymore, they'll live forever. A lot of Hebrew, especially liked hands and body part, talks about the hand of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, their lips, their tongue, their teeth. There's all these body parts used to symbolize things, and the problem with other languages is they may not use body parts like that. In Lado, they often don't. There is one, however, when a young man gets married, he owes his upper arm to his in-laws, which means he's supposed to help with the farm work. He's obligated to help, you know, kind of be part of their family. So he owes his upper arm, which has to do with his strength. So for that one, when we talk about the upper arm of God helping in battle, the arm of the Lord, that one, <clears throat> that one would fit. But to put someone like... Paul was in the hands of the Gentiles. He wasn't literally like this, but it meant he was in their power. And so some of those we had, we couldn't use the idiom or the figurative language hands. We had to just say he was in the power of the, the Romans or whoever it was. Another one was cornerstone. This is also a key term used throughout scripture. It's quoted many times also in the New Testament. Second, 1 Peter 2, 6, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Now, some translators have said, well, maybe we could substitute an equivalent part of the structure of a house. For example, <clears throat> the central pole of a roundhouse. But the problem, again, you have to think through this because that term cornerstone is used not just in that one verse. You're not talking about that one little situation. It's, it's throughout scripture. So a better one might be to try to put something in there to indicate the function of the cornerstone. For example, the most important stone or the, in relation to that all other stones are held firmly in place, <clears throat> which is what we ended up doing, the, the most important stone, we called it, because they don't use... And we don't either in, in the U.S. use cornerstones too much for building buildings and holding them all together, but we sort of, like old buildings downtown, may have some big literal stone in the corner that people hide stuff in, you know, copy the newspaper from 1880 or whenever the building was made, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but these people don't use stone at all in their buildings, so this one really didn't have a lot of meaning except for foundation they sometimes will put a stone under the the posts that they build their houses on so saying it was the most important one at least kind of got them in that direction 
Okay, Christ is the head of the body, the church. That also they were talking about recently. But it's trying to express the relationship between Christ and the church is like the relationship of our head to our body. Without our head, our body is dead and can't do anything. And it's from the head that the direction comes. If you damage the brain, the rest of the body doesn't function either. So it's an illustration of the relationship, not a literal physical thing. There's also extended metaphors and and figurative language, like all of the parables are a kind of extended um, figurative language. Jesus used a lot of parables about rich men and poor men and people going off on trips and vineyard dressers and all these other thieves coming in the night. There's a lot of these. There's also quite a few in the Old Testament. Isaiah has several of these kind of stories like Parables. They're kind of an extended figurative language. And of course, they're full of problems. As I would hear sometimes in sermons out in the village, people would make everything figurative. I heard a sermon about after the resurrection, Jesus was on the shore and the disciples were out trying to fish and Jesus had bread and, bread and fish on the fire. And they made this whole sermon about the, the baked fish and how we should be ready. And I'm <laughs> so there is danger also in seeing everything as figurative. But there is also at the same time a lot of figurative language. One we've wrestled with recently is this one from First Corinthians nine about the athletes. Do you not know that in a race <clears throat> all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? They aren't really familiar with running races. I mean people For one, it's too hot. There are people who like to run, but it's not a race thing. Um, Everyone who competes gets into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Well, they don't have a word for crowns either. When we talk about kings and crowns, we talk about a king's hat, but that's not what they're talking about here. So we came up with a victory prize and I think the original talked about a, a wreath. And again, that doesn't mean a wreath of flowers. It's like, well, that's what you put on at graduation. You know, in the Philippines, they sell these lays or necklaces made out of flowers. That's the closest they could think of. But that has nothing to do with what they're talking about in this passage. But we talked about a victory prize. A prize is general, so it can fit for... I guess in Indonesia, it's common to have trophies. People's houses are stacked with these trophies. I left all mine behind because they're ugly and tarnished, and I don't want to look at them. They're full of dust. But they have trophies, so we'll just call it a prize. We don't... And people do races and things to get these little trophies they can stick up in their living room and other people visiting can be real impressed because they've got all these different trophies lined up. Are they like ours, like little brass things? Sometimes, yeah. Or there'll be little plaques. Okay. And they're usually cheap and poorly made and... Yes, they tarnish and get full of dust and... (laughs) 
Okay, therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. See, that to them doesn't communicate either. Why would somebody beat on themselves unless they're crazy? So that after I preached up... Anyway, this whole thing just didn't make sense. And we had already published the New Testament. So this was looking at what we had already published. So we had a long discussion. And you know, I was surprised that this communicated so poorly. Because this group of people, I mean, they are the ones who've been actually looking at Scripture. And they were not really understanding it, how much more the rest of the group. So we ended up with... Okay, the other, the other thing I forgot to mention is there's rhetorical questions which we haven't talked about. Oh, well. There we go again. Rhetorical questions are questions used. They don't really... You're not really asking for information, but you have another purpose. Yeah. Like, isn't it hot in here? You're not asking people to say, is it hot in here? Let's see, yes or no. That's not what you're saying. You're asking someone to go adjust the temperature say. Or you'll say uh, Lado people use this all the time for rebuking like a child will come out wearing some horrendous outfit and the mother will say isn't, the, isn't that beautiful? And of course the idea is no it's not beautiful, go change and put something else on. It's like yeah, it's sarcasm. It's, it's a, they use a question but the actual intent is not to ask for information. You're rebuking or criticizing. Yeah? At the beginning, you, you had mentioned that yes is almost always yes in all the different dialects, mm-hmm. but no is different everywhere. Right. Okay, so uh, moving away from Lado, would all of this work have to be done, I know you're concentrating on this uh, Lado, but would all of this have to be redone for every specific uh, dialect? Question number one. Question number two is, it seems like, like when you have the Lado version here of Corinthians 9, that, and from what I've seen of your examples, it's more often than not lengthier explanation. So a, a, a Bible, say you take a, a New Testament complete, that's a big New Testament. Um, this one's not near as explicated. There's, there's a, a group in the middle of Irian Jaya, or now known as Papua. Yeah. Those people know nothing at all about any of this. And so the translator published his back translation, and really literally everything is Expanded out. It, it's a good reference material if you're stuck on a particular thing. Now, we didn't explicate everything under the sun. Like, this, this isn't that much longer than a more literal version. A lot of things we don't have to do anything with because they understand it. Like, a lot of the narrative and Psalms, we can keep things shorter. But this one in Papua, yes, just the New Testament when he printed it in a book was that thick. I, I, I never realized how hard and tedious doing this would be for someone. Yeah. You asked about the other language versions. You can... <clears throat> it was quite popular for a while to try to do a computer-assisted dialect adaptation, <clears throat> which would mean you take all the words that are different, like the Lado becomes Ija, 
or da'a or whatever, and all the words that are different, you change and run it through a computer program, and it spits out your basic draft. And that actually is how we did the first version of the New Testament. We used from the neighboring dialect. However, <laughs> there were other differences that weren't so apparent, like word order differences. And finally, the, translate, the people who were helping said, next time, we, can we just translate it ourselves? They just got really tired of fixing it and tired of having to delete that word and turn this around. And it was very tedious. So for the Old Testament, we just straight do it. But having said that, I appreciate having access to other people's versions because many of these same problems are also problems in neighboring languages. <clears throat> I think I mentioned last time I was here, one big feature of all these languages is there's no he and she. It's all dia or ia, all of them, not just Lado. So all of this discussion, a lot of this... <laughs> feminization type discussion is just moot. It doesn't mean anything because it's irrelevant. They don't have pronouns. You don't have... What you have to worry about is should I state that this person was male or female? Does it matter in this context? <clears throat> so there's often samenesses, like some of these same translation problems are also going to be true of neighboring languages, and that's why having access to our translation is being used by other other groups working on translations in their languages because we've solved some of the problems. And I look back at theirs, sometimes they come up with a better solution than we did. So, yeah. Pronouns are silly. <clears throat> they have no idea what we're talking about. So they just think it's like, why would you even... Right. Which I'm just thinking, we're all people. We're right. all humans. Right. So, that's interesting. We're obsessed with pronouns. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to ask you a question that you couldn't possibly answer, by the way. And that is, um, uh, gee whiz, I've been rehearsing this in my mind so much. All right. We've been talking about phrases, about imagery, about uh, figurative language. But as far as, and, and, and that's important that you do that, but as far as the people knowing the basic message of the gospel, the basic message, and all this fits in that. It fits into that. It points to. Uh, how do you feel? Uh, it, it, again, I don't think you can answer this because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's the Holy Spirit that brings them to faith. It's the Holy Spirit. So you really can't answer this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, how uh, one wonders, put it that way, one wonders how, they're, how further along are they getting on their understanding of what this is all about? I mean, besides the individual phrases, how it's all coming together. Right, and that, that's a good point. And so aside from looking at the details, and this is, this is not really the details yet. There's other stuff we could talk about that's even more nitpicky and detailed. But one of the things we do in the process is test it. So like, for example, John 2, say, I or one of the team now would make up questions that we hope someone reading this would be able to answer. You know, we're not asking about, you know, the Greek meaning of some word, but just are you getting the basic message? And that has a big impact. Sometimes we ourselves don't always understand all the little details. I mean, a lot of the thing I'm learning a lot myself about some of the figurative language, and I've been reading English Bibles my whole life, so I'm still learning. And so we don't expect people to necessarily understand absolutely everything, but <clears throat> you do need to make sure that the basic message is coming across. 
I don't know if that helped answer your question. And it's different for different people. I'm always amazed at what verse or passage strikes a particular person. Yeah, it, it's hard to explain it, and yet there's no other way to say it, really. There's, I remember a, I heard a pastor talking about when he was 12, his church had the habit of giving a Bible to all the sixth graders that were graduating from elementary school. So he got this Bible, and a couple years later, he thought he should start reading it. And he said, looking back on it, I was just amazed at how it changed my life. I mean, I couldn't tell you how, I couldn't tell you why, but looking back, I can see that it did. It began changing how I looked at things. One of the ladies on another team that was at our workshops, same thing. She went to church all her life. When she retired, and in Indonesia you can retire at 55, so a lot of times people still have a lot of time and energy when they retire at 55. She decided to join the translation team, and she said, well, I decided I better start reading the Bible if I was going to help translate it. She said, I'd gone to church all my life. I take my Bible to church. I go every Sunday and every midweek, but I had never really read it. And she said, I just couldn't believe the changes in my life. It's like when a problem would come up during the day, it's like it would come to my mind ways of dealing with it. It's just I can't explain it, but it's like just reading the Bible every day it just changed my life. This is from a woman living in a remote area of Indonesia. She'd been to church all her life, but you know, they have, you bring your, church, your Bible to church, you open it for the passage, you close it, and that's it until next service. I just had a comment kind of in line with what Brian was talking about, but you know, the, the difficulty and the tediousness of getting this accurate so these people understand it. And I know in some um, African locations, you know, the pastors are saying, quit sending the prosperity gospel preachers to Africa because it's just making it so difficult. Do you have that over there to some degree? We don't too much in our area, but yes, I was talking to some people at a workshop in Kalimantan. Some of these guys were elders in their church, and there was a group coming around of young people. They were doing two-week blitz campaigns in different villages, and they were all into seeing auras and, and slaying people in the spirit. And the last time I went, they told me about another church in the city on the coast that was really pushing this neurolinguistic idea that if we can use these techniques to get people to do what's good, isn't that right? Shouldn't we as Christian pastors be using these techniques to get people to attend the services and and read their Bibles and do this kind of thing. So yes, it, it is a problem. <clears throat> Many of the pastors in both the Philippines and Indonesia in rural areas, they have their Bible schools are pretty basic. They pretty much teach them what the denomination, the denominations highlights. Like if you go to a Baptist uh, Bible school, they'll teach you about immersion baptism and about you know Baptist doctrines. Or if you go to a Pentecostal one, they'll teach you about the Holy Spirit baptism and that kind of thing. But these pastors were just amazed to just sit and do a Bible study. This is the book of John. What does it say? What did Jesus say? What did the disciples reply? They've never read it um, 
<clears throat> I met a pastor who, he'd been a pastor for nine years. He said he'd never read the whole Bible. I told that to the head of the Salvation Army Bible School, and he immediately began require, as a requirement of graduation, all the students had to read through the Bible three times. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Do what you can. So yeah, there's there's lack of depth in teaching, and you know there there's a I forget the name of it. There is a group that's having monthly or every two months workshops where they bring in pastors and they try to instill some of this Bible knowledge into pastors. And those who've been to it are just blown over by it. It's because they don't get this in Bible school often. Bible schools are focused on denominational highlights, shall we say, and a two-year program, I mean, what can you do? So, yeah, it, and that's another reason, because I struggled, too, with... Here in the U.S., if you have a good pastor, you can use, you could even use the King James. If your pastor knows how to preach and explain it, and you're taught, we all grew up with the King James. But if you don't have that, then <laughs> it's a problem. There are more literal translations in the national language, so I'm not worried that it's going to disappear in Indonesia. A lot of people look at these local languages more of a, like a good news Bible to try to help people who know nothing learn a little bit. <clears throat> okay, any other, any other questions? I guess we have lots of time, so you can probably ask any other... <laughs> Somebody's back there, I guess. Um, thanks for being here today, Donna. We really appreciate hearing about this. Um, at one time, you were talking about having um, radio time to have the Bible read through the radio waves. Is there any update on that? They, <clears throat> when they recorded the Jesus film, they also recorded 10... I don't little short bits that were intended for radio, and those were played repeatedly for three months right after the earthquake, since a lot of people were, their televisions were destroyed in the earthquake. I mean, a lot of people were listening to radio then. They still are, but there's that. Also, in a couple of the villages there, since the Muslims have these loudspeakers on the top of the mosque that go off, now the churches are starting to do that too. So in the villages, they're starting to have a devotional at 6 a.m. where the pastor may play some Christian music, give a little homily, and they may, in the afternoon, they do the same thing around 5 o'clock, and they've been playing one or two chapters from the audio recording. But radio is still quite popular. A lot of people working drivers, radios going all day long. Farmers have the radio going all day long. Often they just hang it in a, out on their, their little shed out in the field and listen to the radio. The young people have them plugged into their heads off their cell phones all day long. Okay. Um, I have a question. This is more of a personal question. Um, as you're working on these translations and, you know, striving to be led by the Spirit and bring forth that which is going to be most effective for God's use, are you ever tempted to soften 
some of the harder things in scripture because you don't want, you know, because you know that people are going to be turned off by that or you know they're going to repel. Because there are things in scripture that are, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things in there that I kind of wish weren't there, but they are and they're true and they're hard. And, and is it tempting when you've come into relationship with these people and you're beginning to love them to not want to deliver the hard pieces? We've had a few arguments in our meetings lately where they don't want to accept a translation, and I just say, what does it say? Well, but that can't be. God doesn't... And I say, well, what does it say? I'm getting better at that, yes, of just saying, what does it say? So there are some things they don't like to hear. The problem, the reason I still stay involved is because if I let them revise it on their own... That's what happens. They'll change things a little bit, like a a colleague in the Philippines worked with an entirely Muslim group, and they changed the Jesus film script to have uh, Ishmael being the one sacrificed. So that's why you can't... I mean, it's not that you don't trust, it's just they don't have the theological background... And there's a tendency, if it doesn't make, especially if something doesn't make sense, they'll change it to make sense. But the problem is it may not be, the sense may not be what it's supposed to be. So, yeah, that's why, yeah. Another one back here. I'm kind of curious to hear about the team that you have working with you. I realize the Lord's going to have to lead them to you to do this kind of work, but how do you get the need out there that you have, and how many people do you have on your team now, and how do they break the books down and work with it, and do you work year-round, or is it more seasonal there, and, and how, what do you hope to tackle at a chunk of, of a time with your team? <laughs> well, first of all, every group is different. Um, we... When we started the workshops, there were 11, initially 11 language groups involved. And, you know, we, we, it was popular to say, well, you know, the local people should decide. So we, the, so we would ask church leaders, and they would look around and say, well, here's the pastor's daughter. She's kind of going off in a bad direction. Let's volunteer her because she needs reformation. Or, you know, this, ki- this young guy over here needs a job. So, you know, they didn't really understand either what we're looking for. You don't just put your average unemployed or re- rebellious person needing reformation on a team. Although, having said that, we have had that kind of person, and their lives have often been transformed. So not saying that should never happen, but <clears throat> we, it's kind of by trial and error. As you know people, you see people have different gifts. Some people just have a knack for language. There was one guy, he... He, he would never use a computer, and he didn't do a lot of reading, so he was essentially not too literate. But boy, he had a good brain for the language. You would say something, and he'd sit there and go, is this what you mean? Well, if this is what you mean, then you need to say it like this. He was excellent at that. He had a, just this knack for it. Other people I've known who are very well educated, they can type up anything, but they don't really have the knack for how their language works. So it's kind of a trial and error. Currently, there's three <clears throat> main people that I'm working with on Zoom. There's two others that join in when they have time. Um, one of them is the nephew. The, the gal who was kind of my sidekick for many years died of cancer in 2018. 
and she kind of <clears throat> had gotten her rebellious nephew who'd finished high school and gotten into drugs and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. She'd asked him to do some typing for her because her hands were, she was having trouble with her hands. So that was kind of how he got involved. And when she died, he ended up taking her place. And he's got this testimony, you wouldn't believe, how this rebellious young punk is now the father of two and a half, third baby expected soon. And he's one of the main, he's very good at language, very good. He's young, so he's still got the energy to run around and test things. So yeah, it, it does transform lives, but it, it's, I can't really say there's a tried and true you know, test you can tick off either. I mean, obviously they need to have some ability. <clears throat> we have another guy on the team, Cody, who's probably 40, in his late 40s. He had a stroke about a year ago, and that has kind of slowed him down. He's a, he's a plotter, methodical, but he'll pick up every little detail, and he'll sit and think about things, and then pick up that they're wrong and they need to be stated a different way. Another guy, Silas, who was the voice for the Jesus film, is probably close to 50. And he too, when, when he, he too is very good at, at good renderings for things. Yeah? I find it fascinating, the providence of God. Here's this young man, drugs, alcohol, typing for his mother well as he's typing the words are going through his mind so we know that God's word convicts and saves so you could have and in, in, in this is universal I'll use America as an example we have a person unsaved in a church God's word, key, God's word has to be preached verse by verse. One person may hear a convicting verse, doesn't phase them. Another person hears that same verse, gets convicted and saved. Now, tens of thousands of those types of salvation verses that convicts and saves in the Bible. But it's fascinating how he really wasn't even wordy, reading the word. He was just typing it, and those words were going through his head. But it was in his language. See, that's, what's, that's what pulls people up. It's like, this is in my language. Apparently, a lot of the Muslims have also watched the Jesus film. They would never go to a church, but you can watch this. You can even watch it on your cell phone, but you can watch it on TV in your own home. Yeah, like I say, you never know what's going to hit a certain person. Somebody in the back? Now, Indonesia is the largest population of Muslims in the world. Yeah. Is there any recourse that you see as you're doing what you're doing? What do you mean recourse? Uh, just uh, repercussions would be probably uh, around where you are. That's Perse what... Persecution? It can be, yeah. There was religious violence in our area in the early 2000s and that's one of the reasons why colleagues and I moved to the southern Philippines and began commuting back and forth. That's kind of calmed down now but <clears throat> yeah the divisions are there. Having said that I, my understanding is the number percentage of Christians in Indonesia is 
growing, and they don't even ask the question on the census anymore. You know, you don't want that kind of information out in public. So there, there is concern, I guess, that people are be believing. But the thing is, like, a lot of people just truly seeking God, and they find in Islam, they, there's, it's a works religion, and they can never do enough, and they're never sure if what they're doing is enough. And they're always feeling this burden of sin, but there's no way to deal with it except to keep trying, keep saying more prayers, and maybe if you've got money, you can give more alms, but you can't satisfy that sense that <clears throat> you can't get closer to God. Other people are very attracted by the love in Christian. Just going to a young people's group and they see the young people, they just act so differently. They're very attracted. Women especially are attracted by the, the happiness of many believers. There's just different reasons. Some people are attracted by the love, some by this sense of sin they can't get rid of or this desire to know God and they can't know him. Um, Donna, before you close... Um, can people sign up to receive your email newsletter that you send out sure. individually? Would you be willing to give us the email to send a note to if we want to be on that distribution? Yeah, it's on that. If you've oh, it is on here? I'm... It's not on there. If you oh. printed out my last newsletter, I notice sometimes they have those upstairs. <clears throat> the... Can you just tell us what it is? Okay. If you tell us now, then... Yeah. Donna, D-O-N-N-A, underscore, Evans, E-V-A-N-S, at S-I-L dot org. At S-I-L dot org? Yeah. Yeah, and I do have newsletters up at the back table. When she sends them, I usually get them printed out in a week. Um, so you can always look back there, too. But it's kind of nice to get them in your own email to read them. She does a great job of um, putting very interesting things in her newsletter. 